This week, three sides of the coin. Buffalo Rock City, baby. It's all about the new CD, the new tribute CD. Songs, how they were picked, how they were rearranged. Producers that we talk about. A little Hot in the Shade. A little Carnival of Souls. There's just stuff all over the place. I think this is a KISS fan's favorite type of episode. You just talk all KISS all the time. Oh, and no Aerosmith mentioned this week. (laughs) Damn. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. We've got to make this quick. Mark's battery is dying. He may just disappear in the middle of all of this. Could happen. I know some of you will be like, please, no. please, die. Die, battery. It's die, battery. One person. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one of our 12 listeners is just rooting for your battery to die. Um, we got a, we've got a returning guest this week. Um, nothing. I don't know if there's anything we need to recap. I mean, there's nothing happening in the in the world of KISS. We will... You got to tune in next week, our next episode. We're going to have a big update on the status of the three sides of the coin avatars and what our future stands when it comes to that. So... In, in 2027. So. I, I think we can do it quicker than 2027. Okay. But because our let's budget. just say we'll become total avatars before magic is ever released. We're going to be become total assholes. What's that? Oh, we already are. We already We're already are. are. We already <laughs> are total assholes. I have a horrible attitude and shouldn't even be on this show. We, we're we're going to we're going to be much, avatar <laughs> assholes. Yeah. Oh my god! Uh, this av- this avatar <laughs> is just just keeps giving doesn't it it's the gift that keeps thank you gene and paul for doing the avatars this is just adding so much material for us um yes next 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 week we will have an update on our avatar situation um this week uh returning guest john jeffries talking about buffalo rock city his brand new the second tribute cd and who's all involved and all the songs that he's got on there and the different arrangements. And, um, you know, we got some tangents. We go off on some Hot in the Shade tangent, some Carnival of Souls tangent here. Um, yeah, I, it oh, was a some fun producer talk. Some producer talk. Definitely producer talk. Yeah. This is this is a good just for KISS fans because John's just a KISS fan like us chatting about KISS. So let it roll, and we'll see you at the end. Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Hey, Three Sides of the Coin, welcome back to, well, this isn't kind of back. Welcome to 2024 and our first episode for 2024. We're just proving Three Sides of the Coin is not going away. No matter how much some of you wish it would, <laughs> stuck. And we're still we we're still here. Out. We're still here, and we're still gonna piss you <laughs> off. Um, we are joined returning guest. I don't think John is approaching the green jacket status yet. This is only number 
Is this number well, two or number three, John? I think this is number two. Number two. Well, yeah. You get yeah. some socks or something for this one. We'll, we'll give you some Ace Fraley socks. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay. Do I have to wear them? <laughs> yes, it's part of the deal. Oh, well, if, okay. I mean, if, if, if they were worn by Ace, um, you'd sure don't want to wash them, right? That reduces the value. Is that correct, Mark? You, sure. You, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Oh, I mean, man. when 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 you buy Kiss costumes, Mark, do you want them washed or unwashed? No, that's a good question. I got a bunch right over there, so I I'm assuming they were washed before I got. Them. I would I mean, think so. Well, a, a kind of a funny thing on a, on a side note, um, uh, when Ace came to Niagara Falls on his last tour, um, I'm pretty sure it was last year. Um, he actually he ruined his one and only smoking guitar that he carries with him on tour. And when they came to Niagara Falls, his assistant, uh, John Astronomy, contacted me and asked me if Ace could use my smoking guitar. And of course, I was like, yeah, you know, like, what am I going to say? No, you know, so Ace used my smoking guitar for the show. And then I met him later in the year and John is introducing me, reintroducing me to Ace. And he's like, you remember you used a smoking guitar? And like Ace didn't remember. And it was kind of funny because I thought to myself, I'm like, how many Shocking, people... Ace doesn't remember. Right. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, though, like, you know, I, I would have to be on a very small list of people of who, <laughs> you know, Ace used their smoking guitar other than his own, you know, maybe a list of one <laughs> He you may know. have thought he may have thought that was his guitar, even though you loaned it to him. Yeah, I don't know. But it was funny because after, you know, the word got out that it was my guitar, all these people are like, oh, are you still going to play the guitar? Are you not going to play it because Ace played it? And like I got all these like bizarre questions about, you know, what I was going to do with the guitar because Ace played it, you know, because Ace touched it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I did do one. I did do one kiss nerd thing though. Is I did cut off the strings from because <laughs> I, I put brand new strings on it for Ace to use, and then after the show, I cut the strings off and put those aside. So that that was my kiss nerd. Right, thing that that, that that's that's reasonable. I, I that's reasonable. Yeah, I would see doing that. Yeah, but I still play the guitar though. You know, I he he signed it after the show, and I had his autograph sealed on the back. He was going to sign it on the front, and I told him no because I, I, you know, I still wanted to use the guitar, and I thought it would look too fanboyish to have his signature on the front of the guitar. So I had fanboy never it. stops Mark from doing anything. <laughs> nope. Uh, Mark would probably have Eric Singer sign each one of his toms on the front, and he'd go out <laughs> and play the kit no matter what. Right there, you go. <laughs> um. So John update so when you were here last time you were here talking about um your your first tribute cd buffalo rock city you've got a second tribute cd yes yeah Fill us um, in. yeah um basically what wound up happening was like right after i put out the first one it was kind of like inevitable that i was going to do a second one and i just you know um, so to be completely transparent, during the time that I did the first album, um, my my brother had passed away 
And then within 10 months of my brother passing away, my mother had passed away. So um, it was kind of a way to me escape dealing with the grieving process of just really burying my head down even more into music. And it gave me something to really, um, you know, dive into and, and work on. So I spent the next year and a half after that working on the second album and, um, it was it was great because I you know I got a great response to the first record and I actually wound up getting um, literally double the amount of um, national uh, musicians who appeared on the first record which I think I had six and then for the second record I had like thirteen uh, national musicians appear on the record so that was that was great. Well, well, run down who who who's appeared on the second one. Okay. Um, Tommy Hendrickson from Alice Cooper, uh, Billy Sheehan uh, from Talos, Mr. Big, Winery Dogs, and then David, um, Lee, Roth. David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth, yes, yes, and um, and Jeff Scott Soto actually appeared on the track with Billy, and at a point in time they were in a band together called Sons of Apollo, which I don't yep. think is a band anymore since Mike Portnoy left. I could be wrong, but um, I have, uh, I mean, who knows? Mike, Mike, Mike Portnoy has this weird ability to be in like 15 bands at one time. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that, but to me, like sons of Apollo kind of seemed almost like the spinoff of the X dream theater members with Derek Sherinian in there and stuff. And I don't know. I just don't know how that would, you know, if they would continue doing that and Billy's so busy now with uh, the Mr. Big farewell tour. I don't, I don't know if that's something that they're continuing to do. But or continue not. on, continue on, continue yes. on. Uh, Tommy Denander uh, appeared on it. Uh, if you guys don't know who Tommy is, he's a songwriter and guitar player. And he's uh, he was on Paul Stanley's uh, Live to Win record. And he's written a lot of songs for Alice Cooper. And he's played guitar uh, on a lot of Alice Cooper records. Um, had John uh, John Beauvoir um, yep. on the record, and yep. I actually had him uh, re-record the vocals for "Who Wants to Be Lonely." So we did a, a brand new 2023 version of "Who Wants to Be Lonely," which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, him being the the, the co-songwriter, I really wanted him to kind of sing his version of how he felt the melody and the lyrics and everything. Right. How he, how he envisioned the song. Right. Before Paul kind of took it over and did, you know, all the Paul is, you know, that you would expect. And uh, so that was the purpose of that. Uh, Then I had Mitch Weissman appear again on the record. And the cool thing about Mitch this time around is we actually finished uh, a kiss song that he started writing with Gene back in 86 for crazy nights called what you see is what you get. And uh, that was really cool to be able to uh, participate in a, in a, you know, a kiss song that was never completed. And we finally, you know, uh, knocked the cobwebs off that and uh, made a new version of that song, which was cool. And uh, Steve blaze, the guitar player from Lillian X yep. is on the record. Phil Schaus, uh, who used to be in Ace Frehley's yep. band, and now he's an Accept. Uh, Johnny Gioelli, who was the singer for Hardline, is on the yep. record. Uh, Howie Simon, he's originally a guitar player from Buffalo, um, and he's uh, filled in a lot for uh, Oz Fox from Striper, 
because if you guys have been following, Oz Fox has had a lot of uh, issues where he's had uh, brain surgeries yep. and he hasn't medical, been able to play. A lot play. of medical and, issues. Yep. Yeah, Howie's done a lot of fill-in shows for, for Striper. He's played with Tesla when Frank yeah. Hannon had COVID, and now he's been pretty much a full-time member of uh, Winger. So th- that's uh, you know how he's playing with. And then uh, John Karabi is on the record. Um, I have Rafael Morera, who was Paul Stanley's lead guitar player from the Live to Win Tour, and he's also in Soul Station with Paul yep. and Eric Singer. And then uh, Dean Castronovo, you know, the drummer from Journey. And, yep. Uh, that's it. Those are all the 13 guys who nice. on the record. It's cool. So how did you approach the song selection for album two versus album one? Well, that's, it's kind of a funny story because um, when I was doing interviews and press for the first record, um, some of the people who are on the record were kind of, they're busting my balls about when I was doing interviews, I was saying how it was like the non- cop rock kiss tribute album and they you know and they would bring it up to me that i was being kind of repetitive and saying it and i didn't mean to be it just would i would be asked the questions and it's just the way i would describe it and so i thought well if that's the non-cop rock kiss tribute album then the next one's going to be the cop rock kiss tribute album right <laughs> so i started looking at all the songs in the discography that fit that criteria. And the thing that kind of blew me away was how many Kiss songs actually have the word love in the title or love in the chorus. So I was like, well, let me see if I can make an album just have all the songs that have, you know, love in it. And I got pretty close. And then ironically, at the same time, most of the songs that fit that criteria they wound up featuring different um, ghost musicians who played, you know, on the original Kiss records. Like, you know, Bob Kulik was on, you know, Killers and, you know, Vinnie Vincent when he was, you know, Vinnie Cusano appeared on Creatures of the Night. And Kevin Valentine uh, played on You Love Me to Hate You on Hot in the Shade. And Alan Schwartzberg played I on uh, The Elder. You know, so it was just ironic that, you know, there was kind of like this duality theme going on uh, with, with the record. And, and that was kind of, you know, what, uh, you know, kind of put together the, the song list for, for this record. Well, why, why don't you run down for those who aren't familiar? What is this, the track listing? OK, um, the song, the album actually starts out. We we actually did a proper recording of the intro that Kiss used on the Hot in the Shade tour and also on, I believe, like in 94 and 95, they had the, the uh, introduction music for when they came out of the Sphinx. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I honestly, there's, is, I did uh, as much research as I could and I could not find any title for that music. Yeah, All I, I know so. is it was something that Phil Ashley had written with Paul Stanley um, for the intro of the, of the tour. And that's all that, that I know, but there was never, you know, to my knowledge, an actual recording of that other than what you might found like on a, a good soundboard recording um, so that we actually use that as like the base template to actually re-record that. So we started out, 
with that introduction. And then the first song is um, I Stole Your Love, and we call it I Stole Your Love 89, because what I wanted to do is, is I knew going into the record, like when you do a Kiss tribute record versus being in a Kiss tribute band, being in a Kiss tribute band, you're, you're kind of stuck in a sense to like the same thing that the real Kiss band did is you're playing to uh, a cross section of diehard Kiss fans and casual music fans, you know, people that will go see, you know, whatever band played the weekend before and whatever, see what, you know, band are seeing the following week. And then you'll have the diehards. So if you played all just obscure material for, you know, go a club or, or a theater, it, it just doesn't go over very well. If you're playing like a Kiss convention, that's the opportunity where you can play all obscure stuff and fans love it. But you it's, know, it's almost like Kiss fans don't get that whole concept that you just described. Right. They, they, they have no concept of they're like, I'm going to a Kiss concert. I want to hear the elder played in its entirety. It's like, yeah. Great, you'll be the only one in the arena while everybody else is in line for beer and taking a piss. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like, you know, really the, the percentage is pretty astounding if you think about, you know, how many people would be at an average kiss show, what percentage are actually diehards versus just, you know, casual music fans that, that are at the yeah, show. I say that all the time because you've seen enough kiss shows. Over the especially over the last 10 years. There's always a part in the show where Paul goes, is this your first, you know, raise yep. your hand if it's your first show. And it's normally about half the crowd. Right. I mean, more. Well, that's what I mean. I'm, I would always see multiple 10 plus shows every tour. And I'm like, every time he did that, I'm like, wow, I'm going to half the crowd, you know. So there. So whenever they say, hey, we this is why we stick to the set list. This is why we don't do who wants to be alone. I mean. That's why, because they're those. It's their first time, and they want to rock and roll all night. If you know what I mean, so yeah, no, a hundred percent. And so that's the thing. But the 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 beauty of being able to do a Kiss tribute album is we know that a Kiss tribute album. This is specifically made for diehard Kiss fans. Yep. So yep. So we're gonna we're gonna try to do as many of the deep cuts and the B sides as we can. But at the same time, we're not we're not going to completely ignore, you know, some of the, you know, the big songs, because, again, people who are going to, you know, buy this CD, you know, if we just had a full album, like you said, something like, you know, like, a you know, the elder back to front, you know, it's really going to kind of alienate a certain amount of people. And that's not what we want to do either. Well, you, you know, know, and the, the 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 other interesting thing is the difference between like putting on a a show as a tribute band and creating a tribute CD is as a band, you pretty much have to play those songs as they were recorded. There's no interpretation because right. again, people are coming that may not be diehard fans and you know, they've, they've, they've heard rock and roll all night or they've heard love gun and they want to hear it the way it's always been. Right. But with a tribute CD, Again, because you're going to be making that for diehards, you can get a little more creative if you want. Right. You can change things up. You can rearrange the songs. You can, I, I mean, it, it gives you a little more creative freedom. 
with a CD to sit here and go, well, I don't want to hear just a note for note rip of rock and roll all night. Why? Why? Exactly. Let's let's do it a little different. Right. And that's the thing. You, You do have people on both sides of that spectrum. You have people that are, you know, as we know, KISS fans are probably the most critical fans. No. <laughs> of of any well, listen, band. Listen, right? there, there, there are certain people out there that think KISS fans aren't the brightest either. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it's funny considering that, you know, that's their claim to fame of being in KISS and, you know, slagging. And, and those, those fans that aren't the brightest are actually his own fans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And then how does that reflect upon him? Right. I mean, that, yeah, it is, it is a ridiculous statement. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have people on both sides of the spectrum where you have the very critical fans. They want to hear you attempting to do a kiss song almost note for note. And they want to either be impressed or they want to pick it apart or do both, you know what I'm saying? And, and so you have those people. And then you, you have people that, you know, they want to see you do like the reggae version of Tears Are Falling or, or something. They, they want to see you completely change, you know, the uh, stylistic interpretation of the song. So you're never going to please 100% of the fans 100% of the time because you have that division of what people have as far as an expectation of how they want to hear a kiss song reproduced. So going into this, we kind of like tried to do a little bit of both to, to satiate, you know, fans on both sides of the fence. So the opening song we did, we did, I stole your love and we call it, I stole your love 89 because it was one of the more common songs but we didn't want to just do like I Stole Your Love, like, okay, this is this is a version that's like the studio album, or this is a version that's like a live two. So what we did is we took a soundboard tape from Paul Stanley's solo tour from Toads from 89. And when we tracked the song, we actually tracked the song to that version, which as Mark knows, being a big Eric Singer fan, that was Eric's first, you know, introduction to being part of the you know kiss family and the way that he played the song was very hot rotted and and upbeat a lot faster and that was paul's intention is he wanted to have the songs being played not just like if they were seeing kiss but you know he wanted to put his own kind of paul stanley solo band stamp on the songs so when we did i stole your love that was the version that we went for. And that's the vibe and the speed and the tempo and the way the drums yeah, are played. Is, yeah. It's uh, it's like I said, we literally tracked that to the soundboard recording from Toads from 89. So that was the first song. And then the second song um, it's have love will travel, which what we did is we actually made an amalgamation of the gene demo have Love Will Travel that had Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen. And then with the Kiss version, Got Love for Sale. And we kind of took those two versions and we kind of stuck them together. So we included not only a recreation of Eddie Van Halen solo that's on the demo, but then we also have the Ace Frehley guitar solo that's on the Kiss version. 
So we put that together and that was like one of the songs where we tried to, you know, be a little bit creative. And uh, I, I think that that came out great. It was it was fun to kind of fool around with the arrangement and the experiment a little bit. So that that was the second song. Um, and then we did Save Your Love, which that was uh, with uh, Tommy Hendrickson singing and Phil Schaus playing bass. And then we did Calling Dr. Love. Again, that was one of the songs that is a more known song. And what we decided to do with that is we actually did the Kiss Alive 2 arrangement, but we added in all the, the really cool layering, like with the background vocals and the, the different uh, you know sound effects and stuff that were in the original studio recording. So we added a lot of the elements from Rock and Roll Over, but we did it with a hard stop live ending like a live two so again that was a way to you know provide a you know not just a, a standard recreation of any particular version but kind of made our own um and then we did i um and i was a pretty authentic version to the original and we had uh tommy denander playing guitar on that and what we decided to do for that to make it a little bit different is we had tommy had a guitar solo in the breakdown. So the first part of it is like the regular hand clapping, the snaps and all that, and the stops. And then the second half, we, we incorporated a guitar solo. Um, and Tommy played a really cool lead that really fit the song. So that was cool. Um, and then we did down on your knees and uh, we had uh, John Karabi singing that, which um, I always thought down on your knees and Paul's other songs from Killers, and you guys can agree or disagree with me. With I think Killers was the last album where Paul Stanley kind of sang with that 70s vibe, where he had that little bit of rasp to his voice. And I thought after that, from Creatures and Forward, it, he had a more much more of a clean technique that he used, and he kind of lost that. Uh, I always thought he was like, uh, you know, the singer from humble pie where he kind of had that you know little rasp to his voice and so i thought john karabi would be a, a really good guy to come in and sing on that track because he also has that you know kind of unique rasp sound to his voice mm -hmm. um and then um we did hell or high water which we had a female vocal on that um uh, the arrangement itself is pretty traditional to the album version but um I thought that Gene's, I thought Gene's vocal on Crazy Nights, I thought that was one of his cleaner vocals and not necessarily one of his stronger vocals. So I thought it would be kind of cool to have a girl come in and sing it and give it a little more of a, a, a sexier approach than the way, you know, what Gene did singing, you know, a cleaner tonality. And then uh, we did Tomorrow and Tonight. And uh, that was pretty faithful to the original. And then we did Making Love. And again, Making Love, we did the uh, Alive 2 arrangement, but we added in all the studio overdubs and the lead guitar parts that they never did live. And the acoustic overdubs, we added that into the song. Um, then we did Saint and Sinner, um, which was done by a band from Buffalo called Dew Driver that they actually opened up for Kiss when on the Sonic Boom Tour 
when they were uh, selecting bands from each city to open up for them on that tour. Uh, Dew Driver, they won the contest to open for Kiss. And um, they did a pretty neat thing where they incorporated um, 100,000 years into the end of the song. So they kind of segued from Satan Center into 100,000 years back into Satan Center. And they threw their own spin on it. And I thought that was pretty neat. And I thought, again, you know, throwing in something creative would satiate some of the fans that want to hear something that's just not, you know, an authentic recreation of the original song. Um, and then we did Love for Sale, which was uh, a recording of the Peter Chris song for, that he had when he was doing the Chris band. Um, and the interesting thing with that was that Love for Sale was a song that Peter wrote with Phil Nero, who was the singer from Talos uh, version two. And Phil was actually supposed to be on the record. And unfortunately in the very beginning of the record, when I was talking to Phil, he was recovering from throat cancer. And unfortunately the, the cancer had come back and he passed away and he wasn't able to be on the record, obviously. So I asked the remaining members of Talos if they would be interested in, in uh, you know, participating in a track as a tribute to Phil and they all agreed. So I thought it would be fitting if they did, you know, a song that Phil actually co-wrote with Peter Chris. And that's how I want to, you know, getting them to do that. That's song. cool. Cool. Yeah. And of course, you know, Billy Sheehan, you know, if people don't know, he was originally from Buffalo and, yep. you know, one of the one of the few big names to actually come out of our city so that was that was a proud moment to get billy as you know part of the record uh the next track is who wants to be lonely which like i mentioned before we had john beauvoir come in and you know sing the vocals and i wanted him to sing it you know really in in the sense of the way he originally envisioned the vocals to sound like when he wrote it with paul and he did an amazing job and then um we did exciter um, and uh, Exciter, what we wanted to do with that was we wanted to actually um, recreate the, uh, there's, if you guys, I know Mark obviously, uh, you know, has collected all the, you know, the bootlegs over the years, but there's a, a demo version of Exciter when they were recording in the studio where it actually has Vinnie Vincent's original guitar solo that got edited out. Before. Which is way better. Yes. That is that version smokes, man. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you being a drummer, do you remember at the end of the song the way Eric Carr played it with the we did those those cool accents on the ride cymbal mm -hmm. at the end instead of the tom? So that's what we did is we actually put the Vinnie Vincent solo back in the song, and at the end of the song we had the drummer play it the way Eric Carr did it on the original demo version. So it was, you know, a nod to the demo. So again, it was, you know, we wanted to throw in, you know, kind of a little, you know, uh, Easter egg per se for the, you know, diehard fans to pick up on. So that was that track. And then um, after that, uh, we did uh, Shoot You Full of Love, which on the first album we did Back on the Streets. And um, people really reacted huge to that song. And um, the guy that we had sing on the song, Nat Peace, it was ironic, uh, Vinny Vincent, his people actually reached out to me and they were interested in, in having Nat 
be the singer for you know this Vinnie Vincent invasion you know thing that he's been trying to do now and Nat you know res- respectfully declined but he smart smart move <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um, but Nat's voice he sounds remarkably a lot like um, Robert Fleischman. So, you know, it seemed only fitting to, you know, have him come back. And for people who enjoyed Back on the Streets, we did Shoot You Full of Love. And uh, ironically, the feedback that I've gotten so far from from the record is is two of the songs that people are really digging a lot are the are the Peter Chris song and the Vinnie Vincent song, which, you know, which, you know, I'm always. Do you, do you, I mean, do you do you think that that could be just because from a a Kiss tribute CD, that's typically not something you would expect to find on a Kiss tribute CD. Those those songs. Yeah. No. Definitely. I I definitely think that that's that's part of it, but I think also in in the sense of how well they were done, you know, I I think I think a lot of people were really impressed with how you know, how well the songs came out. Um, not that they were necessarily better than any of the other tracks, but, um, you know, them being more the obscure out of all right. the songs on the record, but them also being done in, in a very, you know, uh, precise way. I, I think, I think fans really, you know, kind of generated towards those songs in particular. Cool. Um, and then we did You Love Me to Hate You off Hot in the Shade, which, uh, again, that was one of the songs where I thought Paul's, the way he sang that song, I thought it was very uncharacteristic of the way Paul sang that song. And almost it was it was co-written by Desmond Child. And it almost seems like Desmond wrote that for somebody other than Paul. And it almost seemed unnatural in the way to me at least the way paul sang that and i always felt that if you know a girl sang that song she could really add a certain you know sexy feel to the song that you know paul necessarily didn't bring to the table with that song and that was something that we tried to do was to kind of add a little modern you know version to that song and uh again we had Steve Blaze from Lillian X <clears throat> playing all the guitar on it. And, uh, you know, it was one of the songs that was, you know. Well, you know, it, it's not hard to improve on any of those songs from Hot in the Shade because you were basically you you basically were improving on demos. <laughs> yeah. As far as the song sound quality. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that was, uh, you know, I. <laughs> Thinking back to what those guys were going through at the time, you know, they went in to record these demos and they were probably just kind of like half-assing the way that they were, you know, setting up mics to record the drums and how they were recording the guitars and everything, you know, just thinking, well, these are demos and then we're going to go back and we're really going to record them. And then at some point they got the word from, you know, the label that, no, that were using the demos and and that's why they added a lot of electronic drums to really supplement the real drums or replace the real drums because i don't think they were taking the, the proper time to really mic the drums in the way that they would have you know for for an actual you know it, it would really 
this is a tangent, right? But as a Kiss fan, it would be great to get a deep dive from Paul and Gene and every you know everybody in the band at that time and anybody in the studio. What was really behind Hot in the Shade? What what was you know what what was the driving factor for that album ending up the way it was? You know, was it Gene and Paul just didn't want to spend all that money to bring a producer in and just pocketed as much of that money as they could on that's, their own? And that's the story I heard. That's from- what I've heard and what I would think. Because there's a few different drummers on there, you know, right. on that um, which really upset Eric Carr at the time, and I don't blame him, you know. Um, and let's face it, we, we all know uh, there's a few different guitar players. Gene only played bass on his style. That's just such, and I do, I do think to this day, that's why I, ha- I have a hard time with that record, just because it doesn't sound like Kiss. It's now, not a finished record. It, they, they didn't finish it. And here's the here's the difference because you can go to, to to creatures and really say the same thing to a degree, um, you know, because there was different guitar players on there. Gene didn't play bass on on all the songs and stuff, but that one had a focus where Hot in the Shade didn't have focus. You know what I mean? So you yep. can't play a little loose, you know, with that sort of thing within boundaries and i think hot in the shade was like they threw all the spaghetti at the wall and went, oh, that one stuck that one stuck that one stuck and okay well, let's, let's 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 also remember the big difference between creatures and hot in the shade is one had a producer a real producer and one was self-produced so and you know and as we know from our conversations with with michael james jackson rest in peace you know he was like the songs weren't there. The songs weren't there. I was calling everybody I knew to come in and help write songs for creatures. So, you know, there was a driving force in the producer that helped shape creatures beyond just the band themselves knowing they needed to get their act together and get back to their roots. Hot in the Shade, I don't, I feel like that was an album where Gene and Paul were just like, whatever you know give us get you know universal mercury give us our million dollar advance and we're going to pocket half of that on our own and we'll take the other half half a million and finish something that's just good enough we just didn't really care to finish it let's face it the, the charm of that era was the tour the tour was excellent the tour a hundred percent Hundred percent. That tour was great. The album blew. The Crazy Nights tour blew. The Crazy Nights album was great. Oh boy, boy, John! I hope <laughs> you enjoyed your tour tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Continue. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, like with Hot in the Shade, though. You know, was it a situation where they didn't want to put the money in? Or was it the label that was really limiting? You know, I'm I'm the putting money the money on them. Uh, yeah, I think Gene and Paul were just trying to go. We're going to pocket as much as and and look. That's I'm not saying that in a in a dicky way. I want to be very clear. That's a business decision. And yeah, yeah. You know what? 
and you know if if, if, at the time that that's the way they should do it they made a business decision it's their business so you know that's it i mean you 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 gotta support that um but me personally eh, that that record just sounds like a hodge i i haven't liked it from this from the get-go there's some good don't get me wrong there's some pretty good songs on it few um right but there are some quality songs. I always like the Love Me to Hate You. I think that's a great song. I like that one a lot. Yeah, and one I, I get mean, a lot of grief for, I, I, I love Cadillac Dreams. I love that song. I think it's catchy. And uh, I, I, I like that one. Um, you know, so. I've seen people go, oh, that's my, you know, guilty pleasure. Say it sucks. I'm like, I think that's a fun song, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I I just wonder about it because also that was you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the time when Kiss sold their catalog was right at that time. Well, and, not their catalog, probably. I think you mean their publishing because the they publishing, never the they, pub- they they ne- they never own their catalog. The right, label is right. Universal the owns all the all the the original recordings, all the recordings. The yep. pub they sold their publishing to their catalog. But so, but 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 again. I don't know how much that would play into it because going back to what, what Mark was saying, I mean, it's just like, you know, there was a, I'm sure we could probably find a contract out there somewhere of what the universal contract looked like. And it would outline, here's what your advance is going to be. And I don't know. I'm guessing back in the late eighties, they were probably getting half a million quarter, three quarters of a million advance for an album. Now the label gives them that money and it's their job to record and deliver a finished product with that money. If they got a half a million dollars and said, well, you know what, Gene, we could do this for 250,000, put the other 250,000 advance into our account, into the kiss account. It's a business decision. I mean, you can't fault them for that because let's, let's, let's also be, clear here back in those 80s a lot of bands were taking that advance from a record label and blowing through all of it and needing even more money well and i was listening to a couple songs off of hot and shade the other night and i mean i'm not a musician but i thought it sounded fine so i guess i don't know i've never really understood what people some people's hang up is <laughs> like if you didn't tell them it was a demo would some people know I think if you actually listen to Hot in the Shade start to finish in reference to some of the other albums, especially other albums that were produced, I think anybody could sit there and go, yeah, this Maybe doesn't that's... sound doesn't sound finished. It okay. sounds not quite polished yet. You know, to Mark's point again, there's some good songs on there, but good, not great. They could oh, have been. They could have. Yeah, they those good songs could have been great songs if they finished them. You know, if a producer came in and said, "Rewrite that lyric," or "We need something different here," or you know, how did "Read My Body" even get on the record? Seriously, that that is just fucking embarrassing. That's because Lisa's not here to defend it. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, but to answer your question, Tommy, I I think. Really, what a lot of people would, would focus on as far as 
you know, that record not sounding like completely pro would really be mostly with the drums. Drum, yeah. Because the, the drums, again, when they were doing the demos, when you're when you're going to record a demo, you're not spending the same amount of time or even necessarily or, the, yep. the best microphones. You're not mock-up of an idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're not looking or, for the great sound. Right. right. Because you're you're just making a, a demo. So what wound up happening is when they when they came to the decision of like, okay, these demos are gonna be the record, they had to go back and they had to revisit the fact that some of the real drums just did not sound good. So what right. they had to do is they had to add elect either add electronic drums with the real drums or they replaced the real drums with a drum machine or the combination of all three and that's really if you're really going to nitpick and focus on why it doesn't sound you know 100 well and i know there are people that can like you that that are musicians so i get all that i i'm just looking at it from a fan standpoint going for how shitty rock and roll or not rock and roll over hotter than hell sounds this sounds like a freaking masterpiece to me, you know? So it's all, I guess, from what you like. Well, you know, and I, and I will going back to 1989, when it came out, when that album came out, I was just excited. It's another kiss album. There's some more kiss music. And I wasn't really that focused yet on how it sounded and the finished product. But I think as years have gone by, and, you know, geez, all you got to do is go to Revenge. And it's like a night and day difference between Revenge and Hot in the Shade. One album sounds phenomenal. The other one sounds like everything we've talked about. Here. Literally right. put Rise to it on and then put Unholy on. Yes, exactly. You the can. Sonic, the Sonic. And again, it, it, also having Bob Ezrin work. Bob Ezrin. I'm not discounting any of that. No, no, I'm just saying that's a good A-B if you really want. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that sense. when, when, were, when you know, I the could... albums were one after another, too. You can yeah, really... once I could start A-Bing it against other albums, it became much more apparent. Oh, yeah. But, and, you know, and... in October of 89, when it dropped, I was I was playing it front to back all the time. It was a It was a new Kiss record. Right. And and I understand the A being part of it. I'm just looking at it like some stuff that is actually produced is so shitty in comparison to the way this sounds that that's why I thought I was wondered why some people were so critical of it. I, I remember getting that and I, you know, the, all of us here are within the same, you know, kind of age range. Did you guys, especially like in 89, because we we're all driving by then, um, did you guys, I used to like get records, record them on a cassette and then play yeah. them in my car. And I just remember Hot in the Shade not lasting long. I'm like, this isn't doing it for me. Um, and I, I think it's a combination of all the things. I, the songs I thought were half-assed. I thought it sounded half-assed. You know, it didn't have the, the balls. And again, just go a couple of years later with revenge. I couldn't play revenge enough. And again, a lot of it, the songs were better. Though. The, well, the, the remember Sonics. too, in, in 89, Trouble Walking came out and Trouble Walking 
sounds smoking. Yes. That's a great, you know, it's funny because I, I know, you know, a couple times a year, myself and some other friends get together and we do just a set of Kiss songs. Uh, we've been doing that for 10 years now, just to goof and have fun. And and it's always a lot of success. We did Trouble Walking this year because um, our guitar player is a huge Ace Frehley fan. Man, it's funny because I haven't listened to that album in a while. And But don't get me wrong, always loved it. Fell in love with it again. I, I I think that's his best record after the '78 one. That that album's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, I th- I think the riffs and and the guitar playing and and uh, the I haven't. I think honestly, I think that is that album features Ace's best guitar tone on any recording he's ever done. Kiss Shot full of rock is the is just the shit, man. I can't play that song enough. I love that song. His guitar just sounds the best, you know, it's and it's funny because I've heard some recordings where his guitars it's like horrible, you know, and it, even on I think some of the, you know, classic Kiss albums, I think Ace's guitar sounds really weak, like on Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun, you know, it just doesn't have that that power, you know, like when you hear him live. You know, and and I think Eddie Kramer just did a great job on that record, really capturing his tone. And 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 there is the big difference again. A great producer worked on Trouble Walking. Right. Gene and Paul worked on Hot in the Shade. That's right. it. And and yeah, Gene and Paul have been involved in so many Kiss records, but I'm sorry, they're just not. They're not great producers. They just aren't. I mean, it, it's even when Gene was producing all those bands during the 80s, I bought it because Gene's name was on it. But it was just like, I, I'm not hearing anything special because Gene is the producer here of this album. When you've got an Eddie Kramer or a Bob Ezrin or Michael James Jackson or, you know, and it, we could debate it, even Bruce Fairburn. He may not have done great for Psycho Circus, but, you know, he touched a lot of other bands that did phenomenal work for them. You can hear that difference between what a well-produced finished album is and what a self-produced, not-quite-finished album is. There's just, I mean, I think... It, it's one of those things where it's hard to explain what it is, but you can just sense it. You can just hear it. And the other thing is, too, is you got to think about the different producers that Kiss have used over the years. You know, how much control did each producer actually have, right? Like, you could easily say that Toby Wright on Carnival of Souls, he completely controlled the vibe and sound and everything in that record to make it sound the way that it did because it's so lo-fi and so weird and so unkiss like that he literally, you know, took that so left field that well that and that record... and that that was that's Toby's wheelhouse. He he, right. he he knew that sound. Gene and Paul didn't know that sound. No. They they knew it as people who would listen to those bands, but Gene and Paul have never created that kind of music before in their life. Right. I love that. Right. To- to- Toby did. <laughs> look at, yeah. look at the time. Look at the time. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think that the songs on that the record, you know, you can love them or hate them depending on, you know. But as far as just, you know, from from a to producer's standpoint, you know, I, I think that's one of the albums that you would pick out and say, yeah, the producer really took over the control of of that record, you know. I still say hate is one of Gene's greatest accomplishments and Eric Singer's drum part in that song particularly is super fucking cool. And I always say this to people um, because they'll talk about, you know, what makes a cool drum part. And, and I'm like, you know, it's cool that like on a, your basic ACDC song, you can, even if you don't play the drums, you could follow along. That's what's so cool about, Hey, you know, he's doing, that's just super creative and just the growl that gene i mean he's so convincing in that you know for lack of a better word demon role in that song i fucking love that song man that song is just so cool i'm just so glad that it kicks off the record too because it just grabs you by the throat so i love that one doesn't get enough doesn't get enough talked about i don't think yeah, it's interesting if you listen to any of like the Carnival Souls demos that were on Gene's vault, you know, it kind of makes you wish like what would that have sounded like if they would have had, you know, Ezrin producing it. If they made it a real Kiss record. They used right. those you know, I, I will say as much as I hate Carnival Souls, the lyrics are great. Th- those are some great lyrics, deep meaningful lyrics. I just can't get past the style, the sound of that the, record. The Sonics. The Sonics. The Sonics, yeah. Right. Now, if some, if, you know, we, we've always talked about, wouldn't it be great if somebody came in and re-recorded Unmasked as a heavier Kiss record? What if somebody did the same thing with Carnival of Souls and re-recorded it as the way a Kiss record would have been? Whether with Eddie Kramer or, or Bob Ezrin or somebody like that. Hey, real quick before that, my my battery pack is starting to die. So at some point, I'm going to fade off into the the. Uh, All right. The, uh, so Mark just letting you tech know. issues, people. Yeah. Just so. Yeah, but it's <laughs> not, right. not not it's not Ruta this time. It's not the Ruta. It's the battery. It's the battery. So. All right. Well, continue, comes... continue, John. What? What? Yeah, what so did... the last the last two songs on the record um, are actually Love Gun. And that's with uh, Dean Castronovo from Journey. And he's singing lead vocals and um, playing drums on the song. And um, again, that was one of the songs that was obviously a bigger Kiss song, probably one of the biggest Kiss songs. And the, what we wanted to do different with that song is we brought in Paul Stanley's guitar player from the Live to Win tour. And we actually had him play all the guitar parts like he did on the live to win tour, but we had him, you know, do it in the studio. So it's kind of like the studio version of the live to win version of love gun, but with Dean Castronovo from journey singing and playing drums. He's got great pipes, man. That guy. Yeah, he is great. So that was something that we wanted to do again. And for every song that we did, that was a known song. We didn't want it to be just like a mundane, you know, recreation of the song we wanted to add you know something that the diehards would pick up on the the differences between that version and you know a standard kiss version that's on you know one of their studio records or live records so that was important and then the last song again is uh what you see is what you get 
um, song that Gene wrote with uh, Mitch Wiseman for Crazy Nights never got finished. And um, when I heard the demo for that, the demo that circulates, it's really, really rough. It's on YouTube. But I always thought that the, the chorus was very, very kiss sounding. And I thought if the song was given some love and a, and a, and a good arrangement and have Mitch sing it, I, I thought that it would, you know, give it some life and, uh, you know, give it to, uh, you know, a gift uh, to the Kiss fans because, you know, as we knew, you know, I think the last Kiss song they ever recorded was uh, Don't Touch My Ascot for Scooby-Doo. So <laughs> I figured, you know, hey, you know, here's here's a Kiss song that never got, you know. We, 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 we could technically say no to that because isn't that only Paul Stanley on on Ascot? No, it's all four of them. All four of is them. It? Yeah, doing like a barbershop quartet. Yeah. Well, yes, singing, but they didn't all play on it. I don't know if there's any... I'm trying to think musically. I don't know what's in the background. It's kind of like an acapella type thing. I, I don't know what... Honestly... I, 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 I want to I want to live in my mind that the last recording was Detroit Rock City for the movie. Okay, not samurai song. <laughs> you want to erase like that the, too? I like I like the samurai. It's a fun song, but you yeah, know, a- Detroit Rock City. That was the four original members of Kiss. Right. That was the last recording of the four original members. I got that feels like that feels dun, good. Done. 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 I like the the, the build up there, and then it's you know again. It's just different. I, do I think it's the greatest song ever? No, but I, I thought it's. I think it's a little better than people give it. You know, you it know. probably worked good with with the Avatar Kiss, right? Because it kind of has like that <laughs> anime <laughs> kind of feel go. to it, right? It's an anime kiss. Oh, you know, you're you're you know what? You're not too far off, John. I mean, it really does have that musical vibe. It, it's for obvious reasons, you know. Um, that was the. I guess target market of of that sort of uh, thing. That song, yeah. I, I I do like it though. I think it's catchy. Um, you know, and I, I don't I don't know. I, I I just thought that song was pretty cool. It was better. I think again, much like Carnival Souls, it's better than what I think people give it credit for. Again, greatest stuff ever. No stuff you'd give somebody that that didn't know anything about Kiss. No, but. It's good stuff that you'd listen to while you're out playing hockey. No, so the point <laughs> is, no, no. I, I like. I do. <laughs> honestly, God, I do like that song. I think it's a it's a good song. It does what it was supposed to do, and it works in that context. It's not bad. It doesn't suck. It was supposed to get them a big paycheck, and it worked. <laughs> and it worked. There, no, I'll it, you, I, really, it really did really, what it was supposed to do. But I'll take that over um, fucking read my body or pretty much anything. Oh, yeah. Yes, but that's, I that's agree on point. that. I'll take that over anything on Crazy Nights. I, you know, I, I I like that better. I, matter of fact, I like that better than most of the 80s stuff. i just not a big fan of that. And it's nothing to do with makeup because I love Lick It Up. I think it's a fucking phenomenal album. I love Revenge. I think it's a phenomenal album. Carnival of Souls, I love. I just have a hard time with the trend chasing '80s. We want to be Bon Jovi stuff. It just never sat well then, and it didn't no, sit well. 
Nobody chased trends better than Kiss. Mm-mm. Well, no, let's just say <laughs> they nobody. Chased, I don't know how well they did it. But, yeah, uh, see, no, nobody failed at chasing <laughs> trends like Kiss did. Well, I mean, okay, Dynasty that was pretty. That was successful. I was made yeah. for loving you. No, that it's was the number that's one. True. It's it's the number one most played song by Kiss on all the streaming Mike, services. That's true, but but the Ace songs and and there's a lot of good music on Dynasty. The Peters, I, fuck, I, I love Dirty Living. That's one of my favorite Kiss songs. Just period. I love that song. Ace shines on that one. You know, I, we, I think we, Dynasty has great songs. On we can we we should shelve the trend jumping topic for a whole show on its own. I agree. Yeah. Cuz it's worth talking. Because because there I mean there's plenty of albums out there where they jumped onto a trend. Mhm. That's what makes the last two so good for me too. I love that Sonic Boom and Monster sound like Kiss to me. It sounds like Guys, just go and let's go record a record. This is what we're going to come out. And I love those records. I love them because they, they weren't chasing trends and it, and it sounds genuine. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat with modern day Delilah. That, that fucking song rules. That's classic Kiss to me. It sounds like Kiss. That's the band I fell in love with. And, uh, you know, again, because they weren't chasing trends. Good stuff. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> there you go. Um, John, before before Mark's battery dies and he just disappears, like, where can where where can people go find and purchase your album? Well, the easiest thing to do is go to buffalorockcity.com and click on buy, and that will redirect you to the bandcamp site. And um, you can either, you know, if you're old school and you still collect CDs, you can buy it on CD. Or we also um, sell USBs of uh, MP3s of all the songs. So you can buy a USB and, uh, you know, plug it into your car, you know, whatever works for you, whatever technology level you're at, you know, we we offer it, you know. and uh, You got eight tracks? No, not eight tracks. <laughs> but if somebody wanted to make one, I'm sure they could. <laughs> um, John, I, you know, we we had, before we hit record, we talked about going off on another topic. But I right. mean, we've actually been talking for ninety minutes, yeah, just on this. And I actually found this pretty interesting, having you just how you approached making each song slightly different and. The differences between performing in a tribute band and producing a tribute CD. That's pretty good insight. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, and like I tell everybody, like I'm just a fan, like everybody else, you know. So it's like when I when I do these records, I really try to do it, you know, not just, you know, pleasing myself but you know thinking about other fans what other fans would get off on hearing and um you know so it, it makes it fun for me to do you know it, it it really is it's a it's it's a it's a passion project for me i i'm and, i'm as i'm assuming for you just like us it's got to be fun because you're not getting rich off of it 
No, and 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 to also to make point of that is all the records that I've done because we had the first Buffalo Rock City record, then we actually released a live record called Buffalo Rock City Alive in between the two records, the two studio records, and all the money from all three records it all goes to charity. So, Good for you. Yeah, that's really cool. Because that was the thing is is you know. I always know that that Kiss kind of looks down on people trying to make money off their name. So like going into it, I didn't want to really like try to go out there and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do these records so I can, you know, pad my pocket. You know, not that you can make tons of money off selling music these days anyways, but I mean, that wasn't my intent. So I felt if I could go out. And, and have fun and record Kiss songs that, you know, I enjoy. And, you know, I, I got the opportunity to play guitar on a lot of the songs on these records and and do that. And then in return, take the money that, that's made from these records and to help people. That's just like completely win-win for me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So good. That's, that's, yeah. that's good. Good for you. So once again, everybody, buffalorockcity.com. That's where you can, you, you can, I'm assuming they could still get the first one too. Yes, yes. Um, what we did differently though is the, the first one, you can actually still get by the digital download. The actual CD um, is out of print. We sold out of that one and um, we sold out of the Buffalo Rock City Alive. Um, but what wound up happening was unfortunately the way that Bandcamp is set up is that, and we kind of got around this this time, was that they made you upload the complete record to Bandcamp. And anybody could go on Bandcamp and liter- literally listen to every song completely four times right. before it says, okay, you've reached your limit. Now you have to buy. Now I'm totally aware that any fan listening to these recordings, you know, hearing each song four times, that might be enough to cure their curiosity. And that's not going to drive them necessarily to, to go and to buy it. So what I did with the live record and with this record is I only put samples up. So that way, if people have enough curiosity and they want to hear it, they can hear the samples so they can hear the quality, know that it's, it's, good you know and then they can buy it and um so i didn't make it an option to be able to do digital download because i felt the way that it was set up is that you know and and of course there's no secret that people anything that streams on the internet you can capture a stream if you're tech savvy so i mean you know if anybody wanted to just you know stream it and then record it they could do that too so i tried to alleviate that from happening by just you know making it available the way that i did this time around. when when so. when mark captures a live stream recording he does it old school he holds a cassette tape player up to his ipad and records <laughs> it to cassette tape <laughs> that's funny i remember when when kiss was on top of the pops in 1987 for crazy nights and they were on tv i remember i recorded that, that. was it that people's check she was really cute remember that is that what that yeah was? yeah T- tina tina peoples right that was it yeah that's a great yeah. little clip 
Yeah, and because uh, it was interesting because the the track was actually pre-recorded, but yes. Paul actually sang live. Right. Yeah. So I I had a, a tape recorder and I actually recorded that off off the TV in 1987 when when that happened. So, We've all done that. That was yeah. how you used to have to do it. So you're saying that's how Mark still does it? Is that what you're saying? Pretty yes. much. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much, un, 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 unless unless Liz or somebody is there to help them do it the modern way. <laughs> um, John, thank you so much for coming in and 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 sharing the story behind your new CD. This is, like I said, this has been great. Um, I encourage everybody to go out there and and download, purchase a copy. Um, as you said, everything goes to charity. Yeah. BuffaloRockCity.com. Thank you. I appreciate the support, guys. Always Thank great, you John. Out. Thank you for coming on. Again, that was a fun conversation. I loved his getting into, you know, how he changed every song up a little bit, made it different. Well, and um, the minutia. Yeah, the minutia. And, and, you know, just the perspective of the difference between performing as a tribute band and recording a tribute CD, two different audiences. Mm -hmm. So totally encourage everybody go out there, uh, get your copy of Buffalo rock city. Again, it's about Buffalo rock city.com. And, uh, it, it goes to charity. So, you know, you're, you're supporting a good cause as well. And I can, I can tell you guys, I've known John for a long, long time just an, an incredibly passionate kiss fan and a, just a good guy. So you feel good knowing you're a doing something good. All the money's going to charity B you're not going to get ripped off. Uh, Steve, he's an incredible guy and, and knows his kiss stuff. So, um, you know, it's great when I see musicians that I know are passionate kiss fans putting their all into something. So you're really going to enjoy this. Well, they actually finalizing it and putting it out and giving it to people who bought it. <laughs> you know, right out of the refreshing. game 2024 that's, there we go slam them again yep that's refreshing <laughs> i think i don't know somewhere he's going oh oh it's you know <laughs> it's 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 like magic <laughs> when you create a product and deliver it it is it can be magical <laughs> <laughs> just never dies never gets old that that and 7-eleven pasta Never dies. Always a winner. Always. A winner. Um, do we want to do any homework? No, because I want to no. go eat dinner. Because Mark it. needs to go eat. All right, that that's it, everybody. We don't have a guest next week, and I'd like to rec suggest to you guys we we keep it just us. We can go back to another relaxing, opening up a box or talking about whatever's going on. But we do have a couple guests that I am working to schedule. But let's let's keep next week just us. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Three sides of the coin. We're out of here. See you next week. If you have something to say, leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515-VOICES for three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.